Hello. There we go. <clears throat> Before we get started, just want to give you a quick, quick update on our pastor and Jake and Shelley. Uh, they are in Central Asia, and they are with the Satterfields. Um, in talking with them this morning, they, uh, they told me that uh, in their service this morning that Larry was speaking at, that they were able to do the Lord's Supper, and they were able to vote in a new elder um, and for a fledgling, uh, for a, a new church, for a small church, that's really, really, really a big deal. Uh, to be able to take the Lord's Supper in a way uh, that is honoring to God as a local church and then to add elders, that is just very, very huge for them. So praise God that he is, um, he is planting churches um, of people that love his son. And uh, so as we pray this morning, I'd like to uh, be as inclusive as possible with the churches uh, around the world who are either worshiping now or have worshiped, that we might be mindful uh, of their devotion to Christ that we've uh, just sung about, that they have also sung, but maybe in different languages. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to uh, unite us with his greater body. Father, we, we do come to you and we ask you that uh, you would make us mindful uh, that we are not a standalone church, but we are um, a local church that mirrors your greater body. Uh, and there are folks all over the world who speak different languages and uh, read the scriptures in different tongues, uh, but they sing to the same God. And, oh, how great are you, uh, a God that would ransom people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you are all about doing that. And uh, this news from Turkey reminds us that you are all about that business. And uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would use this time to make us all about that same business, to make us committed to your purposes and to your great affections uh, for the nations. So God, we love you and we look forward to what you're going to do to us through your word and we uh, abandon ourselves to that. We pray in your son's holy name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Larry and the elders have asked me to conclude our series on marriage by speaking to the singles of our church about church and by speaking to the church at, as a whole about singles. Uh, it is a great pleasure to do that, and um, I'm just so glad to be able to speak to you guys this morning. Um, my purpose this morning will be threefold. Uh, it will be first to address the unique place that singles hold in the heart of North Wake. Second, to consider the unique temptations that single Christians faced. And third, to explore the unique contribution that singles offer to this local church it will not be my intention to lay out a theology of singleness or to uh, treat the subject as a whole. So for your continued study, um, you can go to the North Wake website, and there will be some resources there uh, this week. So you can continue studying. We're just going to scratch the surface. We're going to get the ball rolling. My hope is that uh, our time this morning will start some uh, good, beneficial, intense discussions about uh, how we might do church um, better. I've introduced uh, our topic this morning by using the language of singleness, but I think that it would be more helpful to use unmarried, the language of unmarried, rather than single. I have a couple of reasons why I think this. The first is that it, it doesn't have the scarlet S feel that single does. It's kind of like you're single, like you're never going to get married. So uh, unmarried is a bit more hopeful. Uh, I think it's more biblical, you see, you are not single if you're unmarried. As a believer, you are not single because you are part of the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ and hopefully a member of this local church. So you are a part of a greater 
whole. You are not single. And I think that this language reminds us of reality. This is what I mean. If you look in Ephesians 5, you're going to see, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself Uh, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So you have this idea of presentation, that Christ at some point is going to present to himself his own bride, that he's preparing her for this day of presentation. If you look in Revelation 19, we see this happening. John is concluding the book of Revelation and uh, it, it kind of climaxes here, and we, we get to the end, we get to the victory, we get to what the book is all about. So we, we basically get to the end, and this is what it says. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So you see that this presentation of the body of Christ, the bride, to the lamb or to Christ as a future reality. You see, this is the case. If you're here today and you're unmarried, it's not the case that you will never be married. It's that you're just not married yet. You will be married You will be married to the great lover of your soul. So I think that the language of unmarried points us to that future greater reality. See, marriage as we know it in this world points to a greater marriage. Married folk at North Wake, I would would ask you, how well does your marriage portray that great future marriage to the unmarried among us? If someone came to your house when you didn't know they were there, especially, they came to your house, they observed, would they see a loving kindness, uh, an attitude of overall love from husband to wife, and an attitude of overall respect and submission from uh, wife to husband? Would they see that? And would they learn that from you? To the unmarried folks here at North Wake, I want to encourage you. You are one of our greatest resources. When you tithe, we don't have to use your money to build bigger spaces for your children. There's a real possibility that you will be here on time. And your topics of conversation transcend potty training, discipline issues, And which of your kids is presently sick? You bring something to North Wake that we really, really, really need, including promptness. In all seriousness, you all serve as the backbone of this church. You are the first people to get here and the last ones to leave. Any success that I've had in student ministry is directly connected to the ministry of the unmarried at North Wake to your students. And I'm so, so thankful Um, for their willingness to uh, encourage me, to correct me when need be, uh, to be there early and late. Many of you are faithful in corporate prayer, and I would commend that to you even more. And if you look back to a couple of weeks ago at the North Wake Prom, 
while we were doing the electric slide, while we're busy doing the electric slide, there are unmarried folk working very, very, very hard to provide food and uh, drinks and um, all the things that we needed that we could spend time unhindered with our spouses. And we are very, very, very thankful for that. We don't, we don't get to do the electric slide often. You have served us well. Your presence reminds us that God's family is not made up of families, but it is made up of individuals who have yielded themselves to Christ, who in faith have become children of God. Uh, John mentions this in chapter 1 of his um, gospel. He says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descendants nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So this church is made up of individuals who have given their life to Christ. And uh, you folks that are not yet married, you, you show that to us every single day. One of your great contributions to North Wake, one of the great things that you bring, one of the major reasons that you are a great resource is because you tell us something about our culture. We live in a world that is becoming more and more um, enamored with the idea of singleness, more and more willing to be unmarried. Now, that's not to say that the single folks here don't want to be married, but I do think that our effectiveness in ministering to the unmarried corresponds with our effectiveness in ministering to our culture because it is becoming more and more single. I want to encourage you in this. When I came to this church in uh, 2000, I was the single guy. There was probably no, there was like one and a half other single people here. Uh, So you, you single folks, you think you got it bad? I don't think so. I was the single guy. And uh, there were only other families here. And so when I got here, I'd come, I was coming out of the world. I was used to being single. I was, uh, didn't want to be married. None of those things. And when I came to this church, uh, a very kind and humble and encouraging group of men um, and their wives, the Doyles, the Thigpins, the Chambers, um, just on and on, the St. Clairs, just huddled around me. And they saw, this guy needs to get connected, and we're going to have to do it. And they huddled around me. And so being in their homes, I got to see this is, these are great things about marriage that I want to see. These are things that I want to see in a wife. These are things that I don't want to see in a wife. You know, there was, I got to see what marriage looked like. I got to see what it looked like, a beautiful picture of marriage. So that they were teaching me about marriage by just letting me sit at their tables. I would go to the Thigpens mostly every Friday night. Uh, We'd go and we'd eat and we'd hang out and play like dumb Bible trivia or something like that or watch a movie. And, and at that point, I didn't realize what God was using that to do to me, what he was teaching me about marriage, the way that he was molding me and forming me. And so the day when I said I do to my wife, I knew exactly what I was getting into. They had shepherded me through all of the things that I needed to know, not all, but all of the things that I needed to know to be growing and being a good husband. And married folks at North Wake, you need a spot at your table for single folks. You need to make a place, set a place, get an extra chair for the single folks that go to this church. Uh, they need your encouragement. They need your challenge. They need your accountability. They need your um, financial support sometimes. I don't know. They need you uh, to help them to grow. 
And also, you need them to help you to live in reality. Okay? You need them just as much as they need you. As you're fully aware, there are unique temptations for the unmarried in our world. The unmarried in this church are faced with some nagging questions. The most prominent is, so when are you going to get married? Um, don't ask single people that. that that's just not helpful. Um, <laughs> see, just, you know, I've been single. I've been there. I've been the guy that everybody wanted to hook up with their, like, you know, uh, sister or cousin or something. Just don't. Don't do that. They need other things from you. So let's, let's get rid of that nagging question and move on. To some really good questions. Should I seek marriage is a nagging question for the unmarried among us. Paul, knowing that it is a natural question for the unmarried, offered us some help. He says this. He says, now about virgins, now this would mean um, the unmarried, the betrothed, okay? Uh, now virgins, I, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Oh, yes. So it comes down to not being an issue of sin, but an issue of wisdom. Of prudence. Uh, often, um, when we hear teaching on this, or, or when we, I think when singles think about this, as I thought about it as a single, it was like a sin thing. Like, is it sinful for me to get married or to not get married? Uh, you know, and Paul's saying this is, it's not a sin issue. Okay, let's take it out of that category and move it into a category more of prudence and of wisdom. So you, you have these questions, and I think the most prominent of these questions is not, so when are you going to get married, or should I seek marriage, but will I trust God? It's, a ma- it's not a matter really of, of, of even um, to marry or not to marry. It's a matter of will I trust God. And this question poses itself in a number of different ways. It sounds something like this. Will I trust God that marriage is not best for me right now? Will I trust God that having to go home alone and wake up alone is best for me right now? Will I trust God that it is best for me to not have children right now? Will I trust God to be the one who sets the standard for who I date or marry? Will I trust God if he has made it clear to me through his word that I should never marry? Will I trust God that Christ is my greatest companion and he is where I find my contentment? You see, the unique temptation of the unmarried in our world is the unique temptation of all of us. That temptation is to distrust God and to be discontent with his provision. We each struggle with that daily. Paul, knowing that, um, laid this as a foundational, foundational presupposition about how to understand marriage and singleness. He points to God's provision in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. Uh, he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, and another has that. So Paul says that God gives gifts in relation to marriage and singleness or unmarriedness. Okay, uh, this uh, this First Corinthians seven six and seven passage is right in the middle of this discussion of marry or not to marry, and how do you do that well? 
So he tempers that with this mention of this gift for one person and another gift for another. Uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus, uh, he presents this same kind of idea. He's in a discussion with some Pharisees, and they're talking about marriage and divorce. And at the end of this discussion, his disciples say this. They're asking him this. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage, probably the best way to read, or have made themselves eunuchs for the Lord because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus also is picking up on this idea that God gives something. Now what he's talking about is giving this, um, this being a eunuch for the Lord. It's something that God gives you. Now a lot of you are saying, I don't want that. Uh, no thank you, Jesus. You can keep me being a eunuch. And I think that um, that is probably, uh, that response says a lot about what God has given you. Um, God will sustain you if this is his calling for you, that you would never be married that he will sustain you in that. He will give you great joy in that. I don't think that uh, there will be many among us who will never marry. Uh, there will be some, and their ministry will be great. But I think that this is um, a select number of folks, um, and it is the uh, exception rather than the rule. So God gives two gifts. He gives marriage, and he gives unmarriage. Now this... Um, Unmarried, marriage is permanent, okay? So don't think you're going to get out of the first one. The second one, unmarriage, uh, is not permanent. Uh, there is seasonal unmarriage and there's permanent unmarriage. So just because you're uh, single now doesn't, or unmarried now doesn't necessarily mean you're never going to be married. But I do want to encourage you that this is what God has given you for the moment. This is where God has you. And this is where you have to live. We can't... Um, we can't live in any other reality than where God has us. And God in his grace has assigned you a place in life. Uh, Romans 8, uh, many of you will know well. Uh, 8.28 says that, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. God is able and committed to working your present marital status for good and his glory, for which you were called. So you are faced with another question. So because God is committed to your good and his glory, and the reason that you live in the situation that you do is so is because he's done it, then you have to move on to another question. I am where I am. I'm either single or married. So what am I going to do with it? And the question for the unmarried is this. How might I be unmarried for God's glory and my good? Paul concludes his discussion in 1 Corinthians 7 um, with the answer to this. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, 
how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, because he knows that you're going to think that, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying, I don't want to restrict you. I want to free you. I want to offer you freedom. Were Paul to visit North Wake, would he say that all the married men and all the married women are only concerned with how to please one another? Doubtful. If Paul came to North Wake, would he say that all the unmarried folk at North Wake are only concerned with that which pleases the Lord? Again, I say doubtful. And if we were to read on in the rest of 1 Corinthians, we'll see that the Corinthian church was not even at that place. So I think we have to think about what he's saying as principles. And I think the principle is this from verse 35. The right way to live as an unmarried is in complete devotion to Christ. For you have no one else that requires your devotion. If you're married today, God requires that you as a man would love your wife as Christ loved the church. And that if you're a woman here today, you're married, God requires that you would submit and respect your husband in the same way that the church submits and respects Christ. And that's required of us. Uh, We cannot abandon those commands in scriptures. But if you are unmarried here today, those requirements are not laid on you. You are free to minister in ways that um, myself or another married man or woman may not be able to do. I think it is this undivided devotion to Christ that will most clearly show itself in your service to God as you love the church and the lost. As you seek to serve God's church, you will have more to offer in the areas of time and affection. And as you seek to reach the lost, you will be able to take greater risks. And many of you, many of you are doing this very, very well. Many of you serve diligently here. Many of you have and will take great risks for the Lord. I want to encourage that group of folks um, to make sure that you rest, that you take your rest in Christ, that you take actual rest from your labor, and that you enjoy God, that you not devote your time primarily to what men think or what other people think of you, but what Christ thinks of you, and he requires that you rest. I think on the other side of that, that there, um, there are unmarried folk among us who are not stewarding well their unmarried years and unmarried days. I find myself numbered among those people. Uh, As an unmarried man, I wish that I would have invested more time in um, cultivating a life committed to the spiritual disciplines. So as a married man with two children, I'm I'm fighting to do that more and more every day now. I wish that I had cultivated that more and more uh, as an unmarried man. And I think that uh, not being married lends itself to having more time for the spiritual disciplines, um, and less distraction from them. So use those, uh, those years well. Uh, many clear examples of unmarried lives, well-lived, could be pointed to, but I'd like to highlight a few. Um, many of you guys know of a guy named John Calvin. He was a um, Protestant reformer. And he, at 24 years old, while he was unmarried, he ended up being married later, but at 24 years old, wrote what is called his institutes, or the institutes of the Christian church. And uh, it is a foundational um, work on how we understand how to put together 
Christian ideas. He did that at 24 years old while he was not married. That has uh, revolutionized the way that we think about theology. Uh, I think of guys like John Stott, uh, who's an Anglican minister uh, in England. And he has ministered at the All Souls Church uh, for as long as he can remember. He was born in that church. He's still there today. He was the pastor at that church. So for over 80 years, he's been involved in this one single local church, devoting his life to ministry there. Uh, he's also written more than 50 books. And for over 30 years, he was the chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II. I call that a life well lived. Those are just the highlights. I call that a life well lived for Christ. I think of uh, individuals like Henrietta Mears, who I've been introduced to this week, an older lady, uh, who in the first half, of, um, first half of this century opened her home to men and women who wanted to be discipled. And among the people that came to her home to be discipled uh, would be guys like Billy Graham, uh, uh, Bill Bright, uh, who you know from Campus Crusade for Christ. But both of those men, their ministries have reached to millions of people. So Henrietta Mears and her multiplication into these men and, and other women um, has done tons of ministry that, that we may never be able to count or to uh, quantify. I wonder, will you use your unmarried and married days that well? Will you, as much as possible, as an unmarried person, be completely devoted to Christ? And as a married person, also. Will you uh, take up the challenge that North Wake has laid uh, to send missionaries to North Africa? Will you be a single person, an unmarried person, that goes to a place um, where it will take great risk? Will you take the opportunities that you have to reach other unmarried folks in our community that wouldn't have a relationship with me, will you reach them and speak with them and encourage them and step into their world? Will you use your unmarried days for the glory of God and for your good? Will you use them that way? Christ is our greatest example of how to live in undivided devotion to Christ. He used all his days to prepare his people for marriage. It is now our task to continue preparation, to continue for that preparation, through undivided devotion to God, whether married or not. Christ has laid this foundational work of preparation. He has given us his righteousness. And he in Revelation 19, has encouraged us to walk in that righteousness, to live out righteous acts, which is that that we clothe ourselves with. It says this in Revelation 19, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints that these righteous acts that we do on behalf of Christ because of our great devotion for him is that which we clothe ourselves in and will stand before God in a clothing that is laid upon us, first the righteousness of Christ, and a living out of that through righteous acts day to day for God's people and for the lost. Christ, of course, is our greatest example in that. And as you know, he gave his life for that purpose. And as you know, he has laid a pattern of suffering for us.
And as you know, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. So Christ has laid something heavy before us, whether you are married or not. And let me encourage you, the grace by which Christ called you into relationship with him, he will use to keep you in relationship with him, to make you like himself, and to use you for his purposes in this world. Christ is coming back, and we will be married to him. But until that day, he has left for us a great reminder, like the ring on the finger of a long-expectant fiancé. He has left us his table. When we approach it, we are doing so as a renewal of our relationship with Christ. We are reminded that we are not singles, but members of a holy body. We are proclaiming Christ's death until he returns and aligning our lives with his purpose. The table at North Wake is open to all believers who are currently walking in faith and repentance with Christ. If you find yourself here today and you are not rightly related to Christ, being that you have never given your life to Christ as Savior, or that you are a believer who's walking in unrepentant sin, it would be best, would be the most worshipful thing to not partake of the Lord's Supper and to use this time to pray, to seek him face-to-face in prayer uh, and turn from your sin and repentance. So I want to encourage you to come to the Lord's table for on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this is my cup in the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Come partake of Lord's Supper.